0: Well, to turn you back to the psalm we read psalm 90 and i want to consider the the message of the psalm to us this morning it's a psalm that is attributed to moses the title is a prayer of moses the man of god it's the only psalm attributed to him we have other compositions by moses in uh, the books of the Pentateuch. Uh, we're not given any idea of, of the context of this psalm, but one wonders, perhaps, had Aaron or Miriam just died, uh, or was Moses uh, at the point where God had told him he would not enter Canaan, and he was contemplating his own death? And he uh, comes to uh, his thoughts, come to this uh, reality, of the, the brevity of life and that's what we have here the psalm is known for this uh, this truth isn't it how it depicts for us the brevity of our lives and the frailty of man's life in verse 3 we have a reminder it opens verse 3 with a reminder of our creatureliness we've been thinking of god as the creator and here we are told in verse 3 you return man to dust and say return o children of man uh, they, they are a reminder i'm thinking that moses here is the the writer the one who was the author of genesis we immediately have brought to mind don't we those words from uh, the book of genesis in chapter 2 verse 7 we read then the lord god formed the man of dust from the from from sorry, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And then a little later in chapter three, we have those more solemn words: "By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." And Moses, in describing man's frailty in the, the following verses and the brevity of his life, he uses some very vivid pictures as illustrations. He speaks uh, in verse five, uh, "as life is like a flood. You sweep them away as with a flood." This is not a, a, a small local flood, a picture, is it? It's more a picture of a tsunami, something that wipes things clean, which flattens everything in its path. That's what life is like. It's there at one moment and gone, the next. And then he goes on, and he tells us also that our lives are like a dream. Our dreams are so real at times, aren't they? We can be so involved in our dreams. What's going on seems reality. And the moment comes when we, we wake up and we realise it was indeed but a dream, it all vanishes away. Oh God speaks, oh, Moses speaks in terms of what was a, a very familiar picture to uh desert dwellers, still is today. Uh, the desert can be brown and uh, looks unfruitful, and a shower of rain comes, and very suddenly uh, a green swath will spring up, and it suddenly seems so uh, fresh, so so alive. But then the sun comes, and rises to its uh, zenith, and burns up all the green, and by the evening it's gone away it fades and it withers in the morning it flourishes and is renewed in the evening it fades and withers life moses says is so brief and yet i wonder it's seemingly not our experience is it uh, we certainly say as we get older time seems to go faster but when we speak of somebody's life being cut short, we speak of it as something which is a shock to us all. We, we like to speak, don't we, in terms of a long life. We, uh, I think back to my childhood days, I was speaking to the children. The 1950s seem an age away. It, it, it was a different time. And we we speak, don't we, when we are speaking of people coming to the end of their lives, of long years of service, whether in the world or in the church. Only this year, recently, we've been thinking about the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee, and everything has been about how long she has lived, how long she has reigned. Well, why then we might ask, is Moses writing this way? Uh, And we have to uh, look at the whole context of the psalm, don't we? Because, of course, these verses that we've briefly looked at, verses 3 to 6, they are set in the context of the truths which Moses describes on either side of them. And first of all, we see in verse 2 that God is an eternal being. Before ever he's come to describe man, Moses sets before us the nature of who God is. The verse confronts us with the vast difference between God and ourselves, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. The Psalm Opens with a title for God, Lord. Uh, Moses opens, but it's not the, the covenant name of God. It's not Jehovah. That word appears uh, later in the in the Psalm, uh, and it's always in uh, capital letters in our English Bibles. We read of it in verse 13. Here we have the title of God as the one who is the sovereign Lord the one who has created all things the one who has all power and authority who reigns and rules over all things from the most distant star to the smallest grain of sand god is in control and greater still moses tells us that this god the one who rules over all things is the only uncreated being Before all creation, God existed. There has never been a moment when he was not there. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons is the ever-present, the self-existent one. Nothing he he needs, no help, no support, Uh, the power to live the power to be exists in god and in him alone i often when i watch programs on the television about space i can feel overwhelmed by the vastness of the universe and that's been made even more uh, evident hasn't it recently in the the pictures we've seen from this new telescope of of deep space when you stop and think about the vastness of the universe how small we are and yet the universe is nothing in comparison to god the universe had a beginning It was made by God. The Bible tells us the universe will have an end. But God, this one who is self-existent, one who is beyond this vast universe, the one who holds this universe in his hands, he is ever the one who is. There is no time when he was not he is beyond the vastness of, uh, of the universe, and uh, we're told, aren't we, uh, in this psalm, that He is beyond time. In verse four, we read, "For a thousand years in Your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night." You, you are awake for a few hours at night. That's like a thousand years to God. It's gone in a moment. We cannot, in reality, however bright we are, however clear thinking we are, we cannot grasp this awesome concept. It's far beyond human intellect. You in know, our very best moments—if we're honest—the reality, the, the eternal existence of God is beyond our grasp. We believe it because God has revealed Himself to us. Moses like no other man perhaps other than our Lord Jesus Christ had so strong a sense of God's greatness and God's majesty he saw something of that glory didn't he of the the eternal grandeur of God when he met with him face to face on mount sinai and it is in the the light of these immense truths that the God we worship is no idol, no uh, an image of man's making, but he is the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. And that's why Moses in the first place describes our lives to be so frail, so quickly passed away. Our lives, in comparison to the being of God, are but a vapour in comparison. But Moses' contemplations don't stop there. And they move on in verses 7 to 11 and take on a more fearful complexion. For we see here in these verses man's sin and God's wrath. who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. The author of Genesis, Moses, he records not only the creation, does he, but he also records man's fall, Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. And he sees, uh, as he, in his contemplations, all the terrible consequences Of Adam's sin when he speaks of man returning to dust he has surely in his mind the the fall of man the curse that has fallen on man because of our sin this is how God now sees his creation we are under his anger he sees our sins not only our outward sins but our secret sins our days pass away under his wrath we know toil and trouble throughout the years of our lives paul sums it up doesn't he in his letter to the romans for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god this is the great tragedy of mankind it's not simply that our lives are brief in comparison to god's eternity, but rather they, these are lives which are lived fully exposed in their rebellion uh, and under the wrath uh, and the anger of a holy God. How long would Adam and Eve and their descendants have lived on earth had not sin entered we're not told are we would they have gone to a greater paradise uh, at some point we don't know what we do know is their lives would have been curse free their lives would have been joy filled but because of sin the curse has fallen and all the troubles and trials of life have entered in life has become burdensome uh, as we just read the uh, their span is but toil and trouble they are soon gone and we fly away by nature our lives draw rapidly to a close under God's uh, anger and none of us uh, escape that reality we we're told in again in the new testament aren't we it is appointed unto men to die once and after that the judgment we live by God's grace 70 or 80 or more years as Paul tells us here but it's a, a dreadful conclusion that Paul come, uh, that Moses comes to who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you how many down the ages, and in our own day, live like the foolish farmer in the parable of our Saviour, who lived for the day, who built his barns. He had much; life was secure. But in a moment, his soul was called uh, to stand before God. And that's the great tragedy, isn't it? That not that simply our bodies return to our, the dust. But our souls are immortal and are called to give account to the God who made us. And so we come then to what I call the, the Psalms enigma, the Psalms puzzle. If all these things are true, how is it that Moses can begin with these words Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all? Generations. How, how can this be? Uh, Moses is not simply declaring our dependence upon God for our existence as creator and creature. Paul speaks of that relationship when he's preaching to the people at Athens, doesn't he? In Him we live and move and have our being. But Moses is declaring something much more here. Uh, apparently that the verse could be translated lord you have been our refuge in all generations the god against whom we have sinned uh, can be our refuge that's the wonder of the gospel isn't it the one against whom we have sinned is the one where we can find a place of safety and a place of security moses in verses 12 to 17 ends the psalm with a, a variety of petitions uh, and the petition in verse 12 is so important so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom a heart of wisdom doesn't lie in intellectual genius it cannot be found in the universities of this world but a heart of wisdom is to hear god and to understand our our deepest need and to hear his answer to our greatest problem true wisdom from god teaches us as we've been seeing the brevity of life compared to the greatness of the god who made us it teaches us that we have sinned against the one who has made us lord teach us to number our days that's a problem no mathematician can solve how do we number our days who knows what a day will bring forth who knows how many days god has allotted to us the only safe way to number our days is to live this day as though it were our last to live this day for God in such a way that you will be able to meet with him without fear well, how do we do that well secondly the wisdom of god teaches us to look away from ourselves moses gives us a hint in this psalm where we are to look in verse 14 he says satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days the eternal god the everlasting god the one who is beyond our comprehension father son and holy spirit is the one who displays his love towards his creatures but we have to look beyond this psalm to see the fullness of the answer for we learn don't we as we go to the new testament and to the gospels that what is true of god it's not only god the father who is everlasting who is this incomprehensible being it's true of the son it's true of the holy spirit and so when we come to the gospels what are we doing at Christmas in particular when we remember the birth of Christ? We are remembering this, this eternal God, this everlasting God, this one whom we cannot comprehend, is the one who has come down in human flesh and dwelt among us. Words fail to describe its mystery. Paul, the great apostle, the great theologian of the Bible. What does he say? Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, and Christians have struggled down the ages to express the wonder of it, haven't they? Men like Wesley, our God, contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. Words fail, don't they, to to grasp the reality. Of what was going on in the incarnation, that this God who is vast, who holds the universe in His hands, who made all things, came down, and the Lord of glory took to Himself the frailty of our human flesh. He lived among us. He experienced what we experience, yet without sin. But though He was out without sin. It became that curse which has fallen on us. That curse which says we will return to the dust. That curse which says we deserve the judgment of God for our sin fell on him. And he suffered in our place. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, in faith in him, it's where we find that dwelling place. That Moses refers to at the beginning of this psalm. It is He who is the refuge of all those who will put their trust in Him. He is their security, not only in this life, but in the life to come. The eternal, unchanging God, who became man, is the foundation for every believer, which can never be shaken in Christ we are anchored in God we are safe through the turmoils of this life until we gain that everlasting home in heaven it's what the whole of the scriptures teach isn't it it's what the the patriarchs believed remember what we read in Hebrews 11 and verse 8 by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place Paul proclaimed it. In 2 Corinthians 4 we read, there in verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen. To the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transi- transient the things that are unseen are eternal for we know that if the tent of our earthly home is destroyed we have a building from God a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens patriarchs believed it paul proclaimed it christ purchased it let not your hearts be troubled you believe in god believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so i would have told you that i go to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and will take you to myself so as we draw to a close the question is this morning for us do you have this heart of wisdom Do you see your life as God sees it? Or do you yet trust in yourself that all will be well? The Bible, the Gospel calls you to turn to the Saviour and to find in him the only true dwelling place for all the generations of believers that have ever been, past, present and future, there in Christ alone is the refuge uh, that we need. For those of us this morning who profess to believe these great things, what fills your desires and your prayers? Moses ends the Psalm with a, a number of glorious petitions. In verse 13, And we've looked at one, haven't we? Teach us to number our days. Then in verse 13, he cries out, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Is that your desire? That God would return again in days as he has done in the past, in great power and great authority, and calm down upon his people, that we might know his reality in a greater and more glorious way? Do you long to know more and more? Of God's presence. And then, so Moses says, "Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love." What a glorious prayer that God would return and pour out His love upon us, that each morning we might know what it is to be satisfied in His love and in His mercy. Do you long to know deeper and deeper experiences of god that your life might be j- more joyful even in the trials and tribulations of life uh, that's what moses prays here satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days make us glad for as many days as you have as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen evil do your prayers have great ambitions we don't like to talk about ambition do we as christians so much but our prayers ought to be ambitious let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children let the favor of the lord our god be upon us is that your ambition as you look forward or not even till wednesday when you go home and pray, when you gather as a prayer meeting, is that your ambition that God would come upon you and your children in glorious power, and that His works might be shown amongst us? And then, as God works amongst us, do you desire that your life might be such that it will leave something behind for the generation to come? Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yea, establish the work of our hands. Not that we seek glory for ourselves, but you do seek to live a life that glorifies God and establishes a work to the good of others, both now and in the future. What might our prayer meetings be like if we had such petitions?